now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Richard D. Lewis, author of the Paranormal Christian book series, where he explores his own true spiritual journey and real stories of others to correlate supernatural phenomena and the biblical worldview without compromising either. Richard, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Now, Richard, why do you think the word paranormal is such a trigger word for people of faith? Well, it's out of a preponderance of caution. You know, the the church doesn't uh, speak much about this 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 stuff, and when it does, it speaks more in a, from a from a point of view of warning. And the reason why is because you know it's like um, if you go down a dark uh, hallway, you, you you don't know who's in that hallway. But um, paranormal simply means supernatural. You know, if you Google it, you go online, you look up what Webster says. Paranormal means supernatural. So to accept the supernatural. Uh, you have to accept the paranormal. They're, they mean the same thing. And if you believe in the witness of the Bible, the Bible is a supernatural revelation. So to accept the Bible, as all Christians do or should do, then you also have to accept the paranormal because supernatural and paranormal, they mean the same thing. But it is a taboo word. And that's one of the reasons why I, I chose this in particular, because we sh- we are all paranormal Christians. Any Christian is a paranormal Christian. We are supernatural. Our ancestors had a supernatural worldview. That's the worldview of the Bible that we believe. And um, plus, I noticed that, you know, there's paranormal is obviously something that's very popular now. There's a lot of people who aren't Christians who are interested in the paranormal. So I thought, well, aha, this this subject matter that you're interested in, I have uh, the perfect guidebook for you. It's called the Bible. And a lot of them are like, well, we don't want to. You know, we don't want to hear about this Bible stuff. So what I'm trying to do is kind of correlate that, bring those worlds together so that people understand, because the way I see it is it's a common picture all through a common source, a common creator that uh, is responsible for everything, you and me, and then all that uh, we experience in the life and the afterlife. Couldn't you say that faith itself is the belief in the unseen? Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's, uh, that's, that's exactly what the Bible teaches us is the faith is, is, is in the unseen. Um, it's, it's in our, it's in our creeds. We talk about, we believe in God maker of heaven and earth and in all things, uh, visible and invisible. So there's this, uh, this natural, uh, tendency there for this, this world has always been there. Um, just, just right at the, the, the gateway. Uh, there and um, but we kind of avoid it. It seems like in the church, and also a lot of people have questions that they don't get answers from their clergy and from from their Bible studies and things like that. And then they go home, and you go to a uh, a dinner, or um, you know you're at a camp, uh, you're going camping or something. You're out with your friends. It can be a Christian, you know, Bible excursion even. And then suddenly people will start telling ghost stories and, you know, somebody will say, uh, I was uh, in this house and I heard creaking in the steps and somebody will tell you that they saw something. And then all these people have the common experience of having dreams. And the Bible says that, um, in, you know, in the latter days, you know, your, your old man will have visions and your, your young man will dream dreams. And God has always revealed himself to us through dreams and through visions and through prophecies. And so that's where I started seeing like, hey, 
this is uh, shouldn't be taboo. It's it's part of our faith. It's what's revealed to us. So that's what I'm trying to do is help people to understand that. Is there anything in the scriptures that correlates to near death experiences? Oh, I'm very interested in near death experiences. And in my book series, The Paranormal Christian, I actually interview people that have had near death experiences. And you see a lot of commonalities in them. And I think they do correlate to the Christian faith. And they actually, um, you know, bolster our viewpoint of, of life, of life after death. Um, and in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it says, as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment, when you look at the um, near death experience, people always report a life review. So to me, that correlates to, to a judgment and it's not um, like a judgy kind of a judgment type thing. Um, and, you know, there's the great white throne judgment that we learn about in the book of revelation, which is, you know, at the, at the end times at the very end of time and everything else. But, um, that to me is, is a great correlation. And the people I've talked to have experienced these, these, um, these beings. And, um, for example, um, in one of the cases that I talk about in book, in my, my first book, the paranormal Christian book one, um, there's a life review of, of Mr. Tom Wixon, and he talks about this being that he describes as Jesus. And he talks about the things that he experienced in his life, and he sees some of the mistakes that he's made. And there's a bit of um, the self-judgment, uh, you know, the guilt, I guess you might say, for the things that they've done wrong. And what I've understood it to be is that you experience these things, not just from your own perspective, but from the other person's perspective that you may have injured. And, uh, but what Mr. Wixon told me was that Jesus, the being that he experienced, you know, basically did so in a loving way. It was like, you know, a lot of people make that mistake or, or this or that. So it wasn't a, a sort of a guilt trip type thing. Um, and uh, from that, um, he was able to come out of that with a greater appreciation for his life and I think this is a common experience with all the people when, they, when you talk about the near-death experiences. And um, yeah, to me, that correlates to the faith and that bolsters the, the, the faith, the testimony that's revealed in the Bible. What about the Akashic Records? Oh, I love uh, talking about the Akashic Records. That's um, Obviously, that comes from the, the Hindu faith, and um, it's very well known in the, in the New Age um, spiritual perspective. And to me, this correlates to what the Bible calls the book of life and uh, the things that are written there. And so um, the, I think we're talking about the same thing here. And that's the thing I've really tried to get across to people through my book series, the paranormal Christian is rather than being in these camps where the, we say, this is true and that's not true. Perhaps we should understand that God reveals himself to all people. And then through the eyewitness testimony of something, how you describe it is going to be a little different. Um, you know, I've heard that Eskimos have hundreds of words uh, for the for snow. And in English, we say snow or ice. So, you know, if I call it ice and you call it snow, it doesn't mean we're not talking about the same thing. You say Akashic, I say book of life. You say tomato, I say tomato. You know what I mean? Maybe we're talking about the same thing. So I feel like there's a lot more commonality between the paranormal viewpoint and the Christian viewpoint and the testimony of the Bible. I feel like the Bible is a paranormal revelation. It's a supernatural testament from cover to cover. All right. If you don't mind, can you share your own paranormal story with us? 
Absolutely. So for me, this experience began with a voice. It began with uh, a knowing. And um, in the Bible, it talks about a, a, a still small voice. And this is one of the ways that God speaks to us. And so for me as a kid, I never had to go to church to find out about God. I mean, certainly I was interested. I wanted to go to church and I wanted to learn. But when I started going to church, my my first experience was with my my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, Grandma Clara. Um, and she would go to church and I was so excited. I wanted to go. And then and it was it was funny because I felt so familiar. So felt so familiar to me, even as a young kid going to the going to church for the first time, because I already knew this person they were talking about. I already knew this being because God has always been there for me. So it's kind of interesting when people talk about soteriology and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, you start talking about time and space and how God exists outside of time and space. It, it really starts to blow your mind. But anyway, um, he's always been there for me. I always had interesting um, dreams and, and encounters and experiences. But for me, it was a voice. And this voice actually saved my life when I was a young child. I was actually abducted. And um, I wasn't abducted by aliens. I want to just say that because for a paranormal audience, that's when they hear the word abduction, a lot of times that's what they think. I guess I'm an experiencer of another sort, but I was uh, abducted as, as a child. And I, I detail this in my book, uh, my The Paranormal Christian, book one. And, you know, I was captured. And in that situation, it was um, a young a young man, a teenager and an older man. Uh, the two of them together, and in the course of the abduction experience, um, it's pretty uncomfortable. I was very young. Um, I was a, a you know um, school, school age kid, and um, uh, so I didn't really fully comprehend what was going on. I knew that it wasn't something good. Um, they were asking me weird, embarrassing questions. They were uh, putting themselves upon me in a way that was definitely uncomfortable. Um, but I was safe from what would have, would have surely been a, a much more horrible experience. In fact, I probably wouldn't even be here. But uh, when they went to tie me up, that was the they after they interviewed me and, um, you know, whatever, toyed with me for a while, they, they were going to tie me up and um, they set me down in this chair. Uh, the older man was kind of like more in control. And then the younger man was kind of like the one, the more of uh, doing the things he asked. He, he grabbed this, this, this nylon rope. And they set me down in the chair. And as as they their hands kind of exchanged my my hands behind my back, when they went to tie the rope, there was a, a split second. And in that moment, their hands were off of my hand as they were trying to get the rope around my hands. And in that split second, I heard a voice and it wasn't a still small voice. This was a loud, booming voice. And it said, run now. And I immediately jumped up and made my way towards the uh, towards the door of this shack. They had taken me to the shack. The, the, like I say, I, I talk about this in my book, The Paranormal Christian, book one. The, um, the teenager, the one that actually captured me, had taken me down the railroad tracks uh, there in Greensboro, where I was uh, crossing over to go to my grandma's house. Um, it was uh, on Pine Street as you were making your way to, to East Market. And there's a, the railroad tracks there. And um, he had taken me for a great you know, distance down the tracks to this uh, dilapidated shack off the embankment from the, where the railroad tracks were. But anyway, so there was a deadbolt on the, on the door and I ran, you know, I, I 
slid the deadbolt as I was, as I, and, you know, I could practically feel the, this, uh, this young man's breath on my neck, you know, as I, as I was unbolting the door and I just burst forward and ran to the railroad tracks back up the embankment to the tracks and all the way down to my grandma's house. And um, I mean, I've never felt uh, such a feeling of, of, of energy in my body. You know, my, my legs were like a blur and, and I don't know how I outran this kid other than to say that it's, I consider it a miracle. You know, I've never felt that, that much energy and speed before or since, but you know, my legs were like a blur. And I remember distinctly looking back over my shoulder and seeing this, this kid get winded and, you know, double over finally. And the whole time he was screaming, Hey, come back, you know, Hey kid, stop, come back, you know? But um, like I say, I didn't know, didn't fully understand what was going on. I knew it wasn't good, though. And uh, and I was quite sure that the voice saved me. So um, I've always felt like I was here for a reason. And I've spent my life trying to get more acquainted with that voice. Do you think the voice was God, Jesus, an angel, a spirit guide or what? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm not trying to be coy. Here's the thing. Um, the voice to, uh, that I talk about in, in my books, and especially um, this particular topic in, in book one, the Paranormal Christian book one, it is God, okay? And it can be the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and most of, you know, evangelical Christians, uh, conservative Bible-believing Christians, will be comfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit speaking to, speaking to us. So it can be the Holy Spirit. It can be Jesus himself. Um, it can be God, the father, it can be your guardian angel. Um, it can be any number of the the communion of saints, because no matter what, it's from God, right? Um, and that's what the communion of saints that we learn about, that we talk about uh, when we confess the, 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 the creeds. And, and when we, when we learn about is, is it's a family and um, God wants us uh, to intermingle with each other as a family, which is why um if you're a, a child in a family and, and you tell your mother something, your mother is going to tell your dad and then your dad's going to talk to you and everybody's going to be talking about it and everybody's going to know about it. So that's how God wants us to operate. That's why um, the, the, those of us that understand the power of, of Mary and uh, understanding how she is very active as, as a saint and as part of the community of saints, we're all one family. And just because uh, someone dies and crosses over the other side, well, you don't, you know, you don't forget your your mother and father just because they died. It's just because they shed this um, this earthly body to um, to join the spirit realm until such time as they're reunited to uh, their resurrection body that the Bible teaches us about, um, or um, a new body in a reincarnated future, if such is true. Uh, I talk a lot about reincarnation in my uh, my second book, the Paranormal Christian mm-hmm. book two. Uh, now that's definitely a heresy as far as uh, the official uh, church teaching. However, there have been many Christians throughout the ages that have believed in reincarnation, and uh, there's uh, quite an argument there to be had for it. And um, so that's also interesting as well. But it's all God, you know. It's all you know. And this is going to sound kind of new age, but that this is how there's truth in the new age. There's truth in all religions because God reveals himself through all religions. And, you know, if you're, um, if you're growing up in, 
uh, India, you know, you're probably going to be more exposed to the Hindu gods over there. And uh, I had a good friend of mine uh, who was in this, this very situation. She's Christian. And um, she was surrounded by all these Hindu gods. And she heard this other voice. You know, I talk about the voice. She heard the voice as well. And she didn't know who that voice was. Uh, but the voice was calling to her. Well, she eventually found out that that voice was Jesus. And it was Jesus calling her to the, to the Christian faith. But, you know, uh, the Bible teaches us that God reveals himself through the heavens. The heavens declare his handiwork. And um, so whether you have a uh, an, an official formal scholastic means of learning, well, those are great things. But, you know, if you're a uh, if you're a native prehistoric people uh, out in the the American plains uh, in the pre, you know, the, the, the pre-Columbian era, you, you still have a sense of God because you look and you see the, the stars and the skies and you're experiencing ghosts and your ancestors and you know something and they talk, they're talking about the great spirit. You know, you, you, all the native traditions, they, they discuss the great spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the same God. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just understanding who that God is. So the, so the God of the Bible, the Christian God, the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to Adam and Eve in the garden, that is, that's the creator you know, and he's uh, perfected this faith through our savior, Jesus Christ. But um, we can't dogmatically restrict the creator of everything to say, oh, you don't, you can't work through this or that. Well, who are we to tell God how he's going to reach people? He'll reach people any way that he can. You know, he'll speak to me with, uh, with billboards and, and magazines and, and newscasters and radio shows and anything else. If that, if that word gets to me. And if you think about it, a lot of people aren't, they're the furthest from the church that they can be. So he still has to reach them and he'll reach them through people just like you and me and reach them through any means. They'll get a sign. They'll get a, a feeling, a knowing that's God. Is there anything within Christian scripture that says if you don't follow Christianity, you will not connect with God or you will go to hell? So, um, you know, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, anyone that comes to the father must come come through me. Um, and I definitely believe everything that the Bible says and all of the, the, the tenets of the church, but there's so much more subtlety and nuance to that, uh, to that question, uh, because who's to say how time and space works and at what point, um, you know, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that, that Christ is the Lord. Um, and, um, it also says that God wants all people to be saved. Okay. It doesn't say some people, you know, some of you look at some of the Christian sects um, and they, and they get, um, they get caught up sometimes in things that are language and uh, you know, poetic. The Bible is not a book. It is an encyclopedia of books. And uh, we have everything from, uh, from the, the Hebrew poetic books um, to historical books to, um, basically biographical, um, you know, accounts, historical accounts, and it all forms a big picture. Um, but, you know, some of the language is is poetic and or it's symbolic, and you have to know the difference. So, for example, the Bible, when it talks about the 144,000, there are, there are sects of Christianity that believe only 144,000 people are sealed to go to, to, go to heaven, uh, so to speak. And um, that's just not true. I mean, that's, that's a total misreading of the scriptures. Um, because what would that mean? That would mean that God loses, right? That would mean that Satan wins. And do you think that Satan is going to win? I mean, um, you know, Martin Luther called, called, uh, 
called him called him God's devil <laughs> because because he also serves the greater purpose. Ultimately, God is sovereign over everything, including all of the re, including all of the religions, you know, and, and all of it. You know, I heard a story of a of a of a young a girl who um, uh, she turned to witchcraft, and um, you know, uh, there was a case where. Uh, her dad needed, uh, needed some help. He couldn't find a job. He was lonely. didn't have a girlfriend. You know, she cast a spell. I mean, I don't think it was, and I'm not advocating people go out and start doing witchcraft or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but I do have friends that are Wiccans and, and pagans and things like that. And your faith is a private matter between you and God. And so I don't judge you for your faith. I tell you what, what works for me, I'm required as a Christian to tell you where my hope comes from. And it is through Jesus Christ. And I know him and I feel him. And there's nothing more wonderful than having that, that, that blessed assurance. But uh, this girl, you know, she, she, she is a Christian, but she cast this spell and, you know, this, her dad got a job and her dad found a girlfriend and her dad lived happily ever after. And so what do you make of that? Well, uh, what I make of it is this, the God that created heaven and earth received that child's uh, uh, wish as a, as a prayer and decided in his sovereignty and his great love for this child in his creation to grant this child her wish. There wasn't anything magical about it. It's because God is sovereign over everything. So yeah, that's the, that's kind of the way, the, the way I look at it. I believe that God will reveal himself to all people. And uh, you know, it talks about, when Jesus, um, when Jesus died and was buried, um, he descended to Hades and he freed the prisoners there. So um, there is some thought that certainly at that point, um, there were people that he preached to in the afterlife who received him. Basically, the only way that you won't be saved and, and that you'll go to hell, so to speak, as you said, is if you reject God. That's that's the unforgivable sin that it talks about in the Bible. All sins are forgivable except for uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is basically to to um, deny the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit because you don't choose you don't choose God. You know, you go to a lot of different churches. Um, I grew up in the Baptist church, and um, you know, there's various uh, denominations where you know people are wringing their <laughs> You know, their hands and they're, you know, they're, they're doing the altar calls and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the altar call is, you know, a relatively new thing in the church. Um, people that grow up in that, they think that it's always been like that, but you know, it's uh, you know, a hundred years or so old. And um, um, you know, it's, it's actually a great opportunity if you need to come forward and talk to your pastor, maybe uh, get some help, get prayers from the church or confess something that you need to confess, things like that. But people think think this pressure is on them. Like, Oh, I got to make a decision for Jesus. You know, I got to make a decision for Jesus. The decision's already been made. You've already been chosen. You know um, you know uh, you do have to open the door when he knocks. I mean, he says, knock, you know, he unlock the door, you know, and who opens it, you know, I'll go in and dine with that person, but that's no more is, but the Bible clearly tells us that salvation is a free gift. It's not something we work for. It's by grace through faith. So, um, it's like if I wrote you a check, it would be a free gift, but you still have to reach out and take it out of my hand. I mean, uh, and that's not a work. You didn't earn it by taking it out of my hand. It's still a free gift that I offer to you. So that's kind of how salvation works. And that free gift is something that God offers to every single person on the planet. You were talking about reincarnation and Jesus, and it, and a thought came to my mind that 
if you accepted Jesus in one of your lives, then maybe that counted for all of your lives. If reincarnation is true, right. then I would say that that would have to be true. Uh, or maybe you have to do it every time. <laughs> but the thing is, is um, uh, once when you again, when, again, once you start talking about time and space and and God and see, since God created time and space, and we know this because um, we, you know, you know, we've got this uh, this web telescope uh, that's out there now. M- amazing imagery. I, I, I'm just blown away by it. And you know, we're getting closer and closer to to that moment of the big bang, that moment uh, when everything began. And, um, but there was a beginning, you know, and for a long time, a lot of theologians fought against ideas such as the big bang, because they thought that it uh, replaced God. It doesn't replace God because it just, it just proves more that there was a God because for every effect, there must be a cause, right? There must be an uncaused cause. That's how you, you, you logically deduce, even if you don't have the faith to see it, that there must be a God, you know, that's just one way that you do it. So, um, so time and space are inseparable. And uh, because of that matter, energy, time, space, it's all together. Um, There must be something outside of that. And that which is outside of it must be able to see all of it. That's why um, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That's also why God is so patient with us. Because he sees our whole life all at once. He sees where you start and where you end up. So, um, and he's very long-suffering too. But once you start talking about these, uh, these various um, paradoxes and, and, and time and space, it gets, it, gets, it gets real tricky. And, you know, uh, and if there are aliens out there, what about them? You know, what's their, what's their plan of, of, of salvation? You know, the, the Pope uh, back in 2014 made headlines when he talked about baptizing aliens. Uh, specifically, he said Martians, but... Um, you know, he says, who am I to stand in the way of the Holy Spirit? And if those beings are out there, well, um, you know, it's, it says in John three sixteen. this is a very famous verse in, in, in the Christian uh, faith and, and, and uh, the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And but the interesting thing was the world, the actual word for word uh, comes from the Greek cosmos. Uh, so that's, and it means, it doesn't just mean planet earth. It means all of, all of the created state. So, um, you know, a, a person in, in, in pre prehistoric times, a first century Jew even, um, uh, might not have that bigger comprehension. Although at the time of uh, Christ, uh, there was a pretty, pretty good, a pretty robust understanding of the modern, of the world, um, and astronomy and things like that um, through the various uh, the, the peoples the the Abrahamic people and, uh, and 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 Sumerians and all those people had they you know they had a pretty a pretty advanced understanding of astronomy and, and the and the, set, the heavens. Well, the point being is the average person, um, the whole world. What is the world? Well, you know, if you're a kid like me growing up in uh, in, in North Carolina, you know, your world is a, is is a, is, a, is pretty limited, you know, in scope and um, uh, so, uh, the world is the entire creation. And so anything in that creation, any sentient being would fall into that if there be such things out there. I believe that the Pope also said that, you know, if they're aliens or Martians, they're also under God too. Well, exactly. And, um, in this concept you see all throughout, throughout the scriptures, 
um, a lot of people have issues with things like they think they think about um, like, well, you know, the Bible, like Genesis, for example, is mythology. Um, um, Adam and Eve, this is a nice story, the Garden of Eden. It's not mythology. It's it's real. It happened. But it's just understanding it in the correct context. Um, you know, um, who's to say that Adam and Eve were the only people on the planet? You know, um, uh, the church teaches that um, that science and and faith don't have to be at odds. Okay, and when we look at science, I mean, what I think is is we're just looking at how God did things, and it's it's revealing who God is through His works. So, evolution, or at least some form of evolution, seems to be what explains everything. So, but at some point, once Homo sapiens sapiens arrive. At some point, God has to reveal himself to, to us, and um, he chooses a, a certain people in a certain way, because that's how God does things. He does it through people, and um, through this group of people, this message spreads to the world, and throughout the world, once again, to throughout the cosmos, if needed, is what will happen. So, you know, I feel like if, if there are sentient beings out there, God will reveal himself to them as well. Isn't God an extraterrestrial? Well, that's the that's the the truth, you know. I mean, and that's that's why you know uh, these questions like, are we alone? Well, we've never been alone. I told you the story of my childhood and how I always um, felt this presence and heard this voice. And this happened before I ever went to church. So when I went to church, I was learning about this being that I already knew. I was actually, you know, understanding. It's kind of like you know your mom, but then if you find an old photo album with, you know, some some school documents and. Uh, things like that, you'll find out more insight about who your mom is as a person. Well, that's what we learn through the church and through the through the teachings and the and the revelations that we get from the uh, the church fathers, the apostles, and the the great saints and other uh, great thinkers throughout the ages. So, yes, I mean, by definition, God, uh, the angels, um, any celestial beings such as that would be extraterrestrial. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're um, extraterrestrial biological entities in nuts and bolts spacecraft, as a lot of people who are interested in UFOs and UAPs believe. Um, but that's a whole bigger problem. Now, if you're interested in UFOs, I would highly recommend my second book, The Paranormal Christian uh, Book Two, because I devote uh, about 20% of the book to to the the problem of of the UFOs, and it hit the, I give a history of UFOs, UAPs. Um, there's all kinds of uh, things that explain various angles and pieces of that. You know, I've seen UFOs uh, myself. I, ha- I don't, I haven't, you know, it hasn't, it's not something that's happened. Like doesn't happen every day. I mean, I'm a huge fan of science and, and astronomy and um, I look at the night sky pretty much every, every night. And uh, you know, the past uh, few nights I've been really enjoying seeing Jupiter. It's so present out in this, in the night sky in the, or in the early, very early morning. I've been watching Jupiter and, um, and, and Saturn and then Mars when Mars, uh, rises and, and, um, you know, I love it. And I've been doing this since I was a little kid. Um, you know, I don't see UFOs, uh, every night. Um, but when I was in Borrego Springs in 2016, I did see, uh, a bona fide UFO and being an air force veteran and a space force veteran, uh, and a journalist working for the air force and the space force, I've been privileged to be around some very high tech equipment. You know, I've seen the the B one bomber in flight. Uh, I've been I've been up close, close enough. Uh, you know, a, a nose length to the F one seventeen. I've I've seen the highest tech rockets. Uh, I was there uh, when the last space shuttle lifted off. 
Um, I've seen the space station um, in space from Earth um, in, in dark sky places like Borrego Springs. So I know what satellites look like. I know what, you know, um, what military helicopters look like, what jet aircraft look like. Um, I've been spent a lot of time around those things. And this is something different. What I saw, I saw a, 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 a light, um, you know, um, you know, Heineck talked about, you know, the different, the different, um, types of, of, of vision of not visions. Um, well, they can be visions, but different sightings, you know, um, close encounters is obviously a famous, uh, uh, he's the one that came up with that original designator, like close encounter one, two, three, and now we've got four through something like nine or whatever. Um, you know, most encounters that people have are explainable. They're things that, you know, they, somebody sees the planet Venus, or I hate to say it, but like swamp gas is a real thing. You know, you can see different things and they're completely explainable. Most things that are paranormal, they're not really paranormal. You think they're paranormal. So you shouldn't assume that something is supernatural. You should assume it's, assume it's natural. That should be your first thing. And then go from there because there are strange things happening, but um, it's usually something explainable. Then if it's not anything conventional or explainable, you know, we have a 90 billion some dollar black budget that uh, is executed outside of the oversight of Congress. This is a known fact. And Ben Rich of Skunk Works said that we have things out there that are 50 years ahead of anything anybody knows. And we have some advanced things out there that we know about. You know, for example, flying wings were uh, were out there in 1939 um, whenever the, the first uh, people were first started talking about flying flying saucers, which comes from um, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Arnold said that you know, the, his, what he saw looked like a saucer skipping across. It was skipped like a saucer, not that it was shaped like a saucer, but um, I think he probably saw, you know, a uh, flying wing. And I talk about, again, I talk about this in my, my book, uh, the paranormal Christian book too. Um, but what I saw was like, a, it was like a white oval. And, um, and that's a very common sighting. And Heineck noted that years ago in the blue book days, but for me, it was like uh, kind of like an eyelid opening in the fabric of space and um, and it opened and then it closed. So what did I see? I don't know. Did I see a portal opening? Maybe I did. But who's to say that still wasn't something um, of a technological source that's our own equipment? You know, um, if you look at the ATIP program, which uh, um, is, 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 was, was revealed to us um, in 2017, um, that was one of the things that uh, the government was researching was, you know, portals and and all these various uh, forms of um, propulsion. You know, Bob Lazar, uh, the things that he talked about, uh, Area 51 is a real place. We know that. And um, research and design has happened there. Um, were we reverse engineering alien spacecraft? Maybe. But where's the proof? We don't see any proof. And who's to say that it's just isn't our normal research? So, um it's a highly complicated thing. Now, when you start talking about abduction experiences, um, they are strikingly similar to the, to the incubus, the fawns, the experiences that we've had since antiquity. Um, and, and that's what I think those are, you know, I think not to say that the, that the ETs aren't out there, as you said, even God is an extraterrestrial. Um, but where's the proof? I don't say that it's not possible because um, God is a God of diversity. Um, you see it in the, in the physical world. 
um, it, where you think there's no life, a life will propagate. And even in the depths of the ocean where light doesn't reach, you see creatures with bioluminescence and and all this wild diversity. I mean, if you look at the these areas of the of the ocean, it's like an extraterrestrial world. You know, you look in the the microscopic. Uh, that's a whole world there. So, and this just uh, exemplifies the uh, the amazing creativity and genius that is our our, our beloved Creator. And so, um, who knows? Um, I can't say that they're not out there, and and maybe they indeed are. Well, I thought scripture says something like God is not of the earth. He created the earth. So technically that would make him an extraterrestrial. I would agree with that. He he is he is by definition extraterrestrial. So are all the angels in the heavenly host that were there that witnessed the creation. The Bible talks about that too. First of all, what is your take on the description in Ezekiel, which some people will say that appears to be, a, you know, a description of a spaceship you know it is very uh, very interesting when it talks about um that that i mean first of all you're first of all it's a vision okay so it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be something technological but that doesn't mean that it couldn't be uh, some type of a spacecraft and certainly it sounds a lot like a spacecraft especially if you look at it from that perspective um it talks about fire and it talks about uh, a shiny appearance that sounds like something metallic. Um, it sounds like something technological for sure. Um, and perhaps it is, but then who's to say that the angelic hosts, um, who's to say that they don't fly around in, in some type of um, some type of craft. See, this is something that, that really um, troubles me about people who profess the ancient alien um, ancient astronaut perspective, which I think is very interesting. Um, ancient Aliens is, is a great show, very well produced, and and I love it. I love the people that are on there. They and I, I love I love the fact that they believe what the Bible says, which is great as well. Um, but their whole thing is, uh, and I've heard Eric von Daniken say this uh, before. Uh, you know, my God doesn't need a spacecraft. Um, well, you know, about how do you know? How do you know that angels don't? I mean, maybe they don't need it, but what if they? What if they just, I mean, who knows? What if they do it for fun? I mean, it would appear from the biblical testimony that uh, these beings do, um, from a few examples, it talks about the chariots of God too, right? right. Um, the chariots of Israel. And um, it talks about the heavenly host. And, um, you know, we're not talking about something physical. We're start talking about something metaphysical. And um, who's to say that in these other realms, they don't... Um, they don't um, fly around in, in some type of vehicles. I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, the, just because, and even if they do, that doesn't mean that what the Bible says isn't true and that these beings aren't who they say they are. You can have it. You can have your cake and eat it too. In this regard, um, you can have angels and they can fly spaceships and that's okay. <laughs> Is there anywhere else in the Bible that it appears that they may be, describing a spaceship well i think um it, when it talks about the um the chariots of israel and that there's um a couple of mentions there and um ezekiel's will is certainly uh, a case uh, as well um those i think are the main the main uh, the main two examples um and again like i say that doesn't uh, necessitate a nuts and bolts 
explanation, mechanical explanation for these for these things. Um, it's, it's, that's why the, the the UFO, the UAP problem is such a complex one because you can have different things going on. You can have ultra terrestrial experiences, which is basically what an encounter with an angel would be anyway. Um, that's uh, one of the the testimonies, and you know um, this is something that's that's been in, uh, been observed for and thought about for a long time. Valet talked about this. Um, and he was working with Heineck um, in, in the later years. So it's not it's not actually a new concept. And um, you've got that. You've got what I spoke about before, which a lot of times a, a UFO or a UAP is truly something explainable and natural. Or you just don't know what it is and it's unexplained. Or it's something that's um, our own secret stuff that we don't know about. Um, or you've got angels and light ships, and then maybe actual extraterrestrial biological entities on some planets out there who maybe are doing the same thing. I mean, we are doing it. We, we're extraterrestrial. Uh, the moment uh, in 1969 in July, when we stepped foot on the moon, we became aliens. Um, I mean, we're, we're landing spacecraft routinely now on, uh, I mean, we got dune buggies on Mars, for goodness sakes. I mean, we're landing spacecraft on, on asteroids and comets and things like that. I mean, we've left the, uh, we've left our own solar system. You know, um, if you watch Star Trek, I mean, we've got V'ger out there. It's going to come back one of these days. <laughs> so, you know, when after learning some stuff, maybe, but, um, you know, we, we are already that we are already aliens in nuts and bolts spacecraft flying around, uh, space, so that could be the case out there somewhere else. That that doesn't necessarily mean, though, that the the uh, the chariots of Israel are, you know, alien greys or something like that. You know, it's a different thing. As a military journalist, what is your take on how the Roswell incident was reported? That is very interesting. I mean, if you look at it, um, it looks to me like they were taking what happened at at. Uh, at face value in terms of what it appeared to be, because uh, the reports went out that it was, um, you know, um, well, a crashed saucer and, um, and, and, and some bodies and things like that were, were supposedly found. And then later on the story changed. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that if, I mean, you know, people have wrote entire books about Roswell documentaries have been, have been put out and there's people that are, that are real experts in, in this. And, um, I mean, as a as a military journalist, I will say this: um, you're not uh, you're not going to be 100 uh, percent objective whenever you work for an an organization. Um, the free press is the free press, but we don't even have a free press these days because you know every journalistic um, entity has some corporate uh, structure that makes money off of what's sold. So a lot of um, a lot of information is more like infotainment when really all um, all media that we consume is in entertainment at some point, you know, that's what you, you're being, even if you're being informed, you're, you're entertaining yourself with it. So um, it's really tough. I think now as a journalist, we do take, um, we are supposed to be unbiased and, uh, and I'm not speaking for, by the way, when I speak, I don't, I'm speaking only as myself. I'm not speaking uh, officially on behalf of, uh, you know, the U S air force or the U S space force or the government or anything else. I'm, I'm only speaking for myself, but, you know, I will say that 
any journalist with any organization is going to have some type of an angle that they're coming from. They have an editorial position, uh, a, a, a bent that they lean towards, even if they're trying to be objective. I mean, it's almost impossible to be objective. You know, if, and if you study this in, in college and things, when you study journalism, they talk about things like how just bringing a camera to an event changes the event. Even if you don't interfere at all, just the fact that the camera is present changes what happens. Um, so that doesn't mean you shouldn't be objective and you shouldn't use good journalistic standards. But um, yeah, I'd say it, uh, it, it's a little suspicious. I don't, I don't, um, I don't pretend to be an expert on, on Roswell. I think it's very interesting. It's a very interesting case study, and it's certainly not the only one. I mean, we had the the Bentwater uh, situation in um, in England. Um, you know, Russia had its Roswell. I mean, there's been a lot of Roswells um, and it makes you wonder. Um, I would love to um, I'd love to know the, the truth. Uh, I'm not afraid of the truth. If 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 the truth leads us to uh, a discovery that um, there were beings from some faraway world that that crash landed here. But again, I got to say, you know, where's the proof? It's a lot of hearsay, you know, a lot of rumors and um you know, I'm not seeing a lot of uh, real photos, images, and um, boy, a lot of the supposed eyewitness testimony is secondhand. So it's really tough. But back to your original point, those first reports that went out are pretty, you know, pretty striking. And that's not the only time we've had stuff like that. I mean, in the Wild West, you know, uh, there's there's you know, strange things have been reported for a long time. So um, I, I think you got to at least be open to it. I don't know the timeline of the entire event and what was happening. I'm thinking that, you know, perhaps a reporter went out to the landing, wrote something up, and then he most likely have to submit it to someone higher in rank that's playing the editor position. And then that guy makes a decision what's going to be reported and what's not. Is there enough time for them to say hey, let's make up some story or maybe it just slipped through and then they had to go back and retract it. Well, again, I say that uh, I, I find it very surprising. Um, and, th- and that could be that could be a form of evidence that could mean something. The fact that they did go to press with what sounds like a fantastical uh, experience, um, that in and of itself could be telling because I find that the uh, the government tends to be pretty cautious whenever they they release statements. Um, they they don't rush um, rush to a print with something that's speculative. They're pretty careful. Um, it's a lot more damaging for the image of the military to have to retract a statement. You know, I mean, newspapers do it all the time. Um, um, newspapers, magazines, things like that. Um, you know, in the presence that we still have, I guess newspapers are still out there. But the point, my point is like any type of a media outlet will retract a statement. It's pretty easy to do. And if you're more of a, uh, if you've got more of a um, sensationalist bent to your editorial uh, philosophy and style, the, 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 you know, the stake is kind of the sizzle is, is more important than the stake. And it's about, you know, getting that, getting that juicy thing out there to grab the, uh, to grab the, 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 the clicks online or whatever else you're trying to do. And you might not be lying, but um, it's kind of like how, you know, you, you can phrase an, a phrase, phrase a sentence to where it's not really a lie, but it's like, um, you know, um, a, aliens uh, land um, 
at the Capitol building, comma, so says one witness. And then you read the story and it's like a completely, you know, a non-credible witness. But but it, the first, the headline sounds like aliens landed. So, you know, you get a lot of that. And then, um, you know, you, you make the headline really big when you go public. And then the retraction is like on the very back page buried somewhere. So no one really ever even reads that that, uh, oh, we got that part wrong, you know, mm-hmm. with the government, they can't really do that um, because everything's on the record or as much as possible that can be disclosed is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very compelled by the fact that our government um, went public with something very, uh, very explosive, if you think about it, with that Russell crash and saying what it was. So uh, it's very, it's, it's perplexing. I mean, somebody must have really believed that that's what it was, but belief in um, in extraterrestrials, and I'm talking like the the classic, you know, extraterrestrial biological entities, um, nuts and bolts spacecraft is not is nothing new either. I mean, um, you know, but even in the Enlightenment age, back during uh, the founding of our country, many of our founding fathers believed in extraterrestrials, and you know, um, the Church Father Origin, for example, believed in worlds before ours and the propagation of worlds. Um, is so uh, people thinking about other people like us in other places that's not really new so during the during the blue book years of the of uh of the air force for example project blue book and then you know project sign and the other uh, the predecessor um um looks at this problem there were a, a lot of people that that felt that that's what they were so um you know that's that's uh, something that was always a battle with um with with people like um you know you know dr heinick who was initially a skeptic and then i think maybe um through his experiences uh kind of changed that up and started to see things differently and then um um you know the captain ruplet and the other people involved um at those levels um investigating these things um they're 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 dealing to to keep it fair and balanced there's other people that um as much as there are the skeptics who just, you know, ixnay and say no to all of it. There's always been people that really believe that's what it is. So uh, you have to be careful on both sides. You don't want to be extreme on either way. You want to just take, whether it's a UFO or a ghost or um, any any other type of, of a paranormal uh, encounter or what seems to be paranormal, you always want to be objective and be open-minded to say that it could be something else or maybe not so. Can you give us some of your personal favorite examples of the paranormal within Christianity or scripture? Sure. Um, well, one thing is, um, you know, as we were discussing earlier, uh, paranormal is obviously a, a taboo topic among, among, you know, mainstream Christianity, most people in the church. Um, and it's out of a preponderance of caution. But I do think that runs counter to what we learned from the scriptures um in first john 4 1 through 6 it says beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god and how can you test the spirits if you don't interact with them so now i'm not trying to say that you should go out and um you know start doing seances and you know consulting mediums and everything else uh i'm not i'm not advising that i'm just saying that the spirit world and the and the world around us are more linked and more closely aligned than a lot of people realize they interact with each other. And how can we test the spirits if we don't interact with them? But I think um, 
some of my favorite verses are not actually paranormal, but they imply the paranormal. For example, you know, when I was a kid, one of the things that they also t- always just tell us, and, uh, you know, you and I were, were about the same age, so you probably heard this before. It's like, there's no such thing as ghosts. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, we always used to hear. And um, I don't know why they said that, because, you know, every civilization, every experience of humanity across cultures, across the globe, across time, has this understanding of ghosts. So you can, you know, discuss and debate about what ghosts are, but you can't say that they, they're not a real experience. And just the, the sheer weight of, of evidence from, from just eyewitness testimony over time is, is, is very compelling. So um, I really like in the Bible where uh, Jesus' disciples thought he was a ghost on two different occasions. Um, for example, Matthew 14, 26, um, they thought he was a ghost when they saw him walking on the water. Um, and it says that in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. So again, that's Matthew 14, 25 through 27. So Right there, if ghosts weren't real, Jesus had a perfect opportunity to debunk the whole idea of it because he could have said, you know, hey, guys, it's me. You know, I'm obviously there's no such thing as ghosts, right? Like we always heard. But no, he says, you know, um, um, it, 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 you know, it it, it is I. And then an even, I think, maybe stronger example is um, in Luke 24, uh, 36 through 43, where his disciples um, thought he was a ghost when he appeared to them um after his resurrection and um in that verse it says that while they were still talking about this jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be with you they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds look at my hands and my feet it is i myself touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that i have again that's luke 24 36 through 43. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is basically giving us a proof text right there on on what exactly a ghost is, you know, and uh, make of it what you will. But the disciples obviously believed in ghosts because that's what it says they thought he was when they saw him. The Bible is replete with supernatural. I mean, from cover to cover, uh, to accept the witness of the Bible, to accept the testimony of scriptures and the faith, you have to accept the supernatural, i.e. the paranormal. I mean, we've got Jesus walking on water. We were just talking about that. We've got, um, you know, the resurrection. That's got to be the, the 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 pinnacle of all paranormal events is Jesus' resurrection. Um, the Shroud of Turin, for example, is, is uh, you know, uh, an icon of the church. And um, whether it's, it's authentic or not, it's pretty compelling. And uh, it seems to defy any other explanation, then it is what it appears to be. That in of itself, if I had to say, would be, that would be the ultimate paranormal, uh, uh, you know, example from the, from the scriptures that I would say is my favorite. And that's how we all have the hope of resurrection because of the example that we get from Jesus and his. What about the devil and evil? What is your take on that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, Martin Luther called, called satan you know god's devil and ultimately the devil himself is 
playing a a, a, a part in the cosmic uh, scheme of things because you have to have a choice between right and wrong, between good and evil. Um, how can you know the light if you don't know the darkness? Um, and and that's kind of what what that is. Now it's real. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people, um, spiritual people, um, who don't believe in evil spirits and and Satan and things like that. And um, I mean, if you just look at the world around you, you can see that evil is a very real thing. Um, so, you know, they're there. Um, uh, and, and, you know, not just in the Christian testimony, but pretty much all faiths have um, these trickster spirits, you know, um, you know, the, the, my, my Celtic ancestors, you know, uh, had an understanding of this um, in, 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 in Japan and, and all the, and all of the, um, all the ancient um, religions, the Hindu religion, the, all of them have this understanding of these um, these jinn or you know different different beings who are you know tricksters uh, who come and uh, and reveal things to people and uh, sometimes um, you know our mythologies are, are replete with them. So you've got that testimony, uh, but then you've also got Christian witness and uh, and then. Also, anecdotally, I can tell you from my own experience, they're real. And from the many, many people I've interviewed, um, those forces are out there. The more you align yourself with the light, the more you, you know, devote yourself to prayer, to um, receiving the sacraments, um, to living a life of faith, the less these beings will be able to affect your life. What about possession? And if that's real, can a Christian be possessed? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's uh, something I, I, I delve into really deeply in my uh, first book, The Paranormal Christian uh, Book One. I, I get into a lot of that. Uh, we talk about uh, the incubus and the succubus experience, um, you know, which manifests itself through sleep paralysis. A lot of people, a lot of people suffer from that, and a lot of people want to understand what that means. And uh, so I give a lot of um, helpful information on that and, and what it is and and how to uh, overcome it. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got, you've got demons and you've got possession. Well, a lot of people get really hung up on that word possession, especially in the uh, kind of the fundamentalist evangelical uh, Christian background. The, the common answer you get is no Christians cannot be possessed. Uh, but first of all, you, you have to look at what the word possess really means uh be it means being being demonized it doesn't mean that you're completely and wholly owned by these dark entities so um that's the first thing to understand is that there are and there are levels of possession all right now um you can be oppressed and a lot of people experience this Um, feelings of um depression and 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 you know, a sour mood and anger and all those kind of things can come from these uh, spirit beings and their influence on us. So those are all forms of uh, possession, but now full possession, which is what most people are talking about, like stuff like an extreme case would be like, um, you know, like the exorcist movie, for example, is a very famous uh, um, account and it's fictionalized, but it's based on actual uh, true, true um, exorcisms. Um, and so you see, you see this happening. Um, 
it's kind of like a house, you know, you're, you're, the Bible talks about us being like a, uh, our bodies being like a house, you know, we're a temple and it talks about um, spirits being cast out and the house being swept clean. And then the evil spirit goes and finds seven more, more wicked and it comes back to, to get back to its house again. You, you see these, these, these wandering spirits, it seems like they want a home and they're looking for a home. You know, when Jesus cast out um, the legion, they, they asked to be cast into the pigs. It's like, they want to be, in a house. Um, so, and like any other house, you have rooms in a house and you can have every room spick and span and clean, but then maybe there's that one room where, you know, you've got, um, you've got some hidden sin hidden away. Um, the rest of the house is clean, but you know, you might have a, a secret sin or something that's no one else can see in the world, but just in that one secret room. So that's where, these unclean spirits can, can have a foothold in your life. And that's where a Christian uh, can be in that, in that sense possessed. Now, can a, a Christian who is, um, you know, fully, uh, fully uh, functioning within, you know, the, the, the body of Christ, receiving the sacraments, confessing their sins, receiving absolution, all those kind of things that we're supposed to do. I would, I don't think that kind of a person in that state could, could ever be fully uh, possessed. Um, but um, they can sure mess with us and they do. What is swarming and how do we protect ourselves from it? Well, the swarming is actually uh, a term that, that I coined myself and um it's uh, I actually have a chapter on it, chapter 23 of, of book one, the paranormal Christian book one, where I talk about uh, the swarming. Um, the swarming is um, what I call the experience of when you're being attacked by what uh, in the in the past we called like the incubus, the succubus spirits, these uh, these dark forces that trouble us uh, when we're trying to sleep. And uh, for me, I experienced it like a it's like a swarming because um, it's like you are encompassed in a whirlpool of dark energy. There's like a vibration that's happening and uh, it, it literally feels you're like you're in a whirlpool, like you're in a storm. So I, I just came up with, I called it the swarming, you know, and when these encounters would happen, I'd be like, well, I had another experience of the swarming. And um, it's very interesting because um, when I was going through this years ago, and by the way, this doesn't happen to me anymore, which once again is what I'm trying to, help people understand is you know when these entities are very legalistic demonic entities are very legalistic and um they're like you know if you go into a certain neighborhood you don't belong and uh, a gang has laid claim to that particular street well now you're in you know 18th street gangs territory now they have the right according to their rules to whatever, you know, rob you or accost you or whatever else. I'm just, I'm not trying to pick on any, any particular group or anything. I'm just saying like, right. that's kind of how the, the, the devils are. They're, they're legalistic. And um, so these attacks will happen. Um, and, but the more you, the more you live a, a sacramental life, the more you live a sanctified life, the less and less this will happen. One of the things I noticed uh, when this was going on was I didn't have, you know, blessed objects around. And now, you know, I have all these reminders of the faith, all these icons of the faith, you know, pictures of Jesus, 
you know, holy Bibles sitting around, things like that. Uh, you you make your house into a, a sanctuary, just as if you were going to to a church, and 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 you purify your thoughts, confess your sins, those kind of things. Um, uh, and, and these and these things these things will go away. But um, again, all this stuff can be explained. It seems some of it seems like it's it's. Uh, contradicting it itself it's like well how can this happen to a christian you know this and that i mean uh, well talking about the exorcist you know that was based on a, the case of a, of a of a young boy uh and so well how can how can demons uh bother children children are innocent right well but then if you look at um theology we learn about original sin and things like that and um and we learn about generational curses and how uh, demons follow bloodlines uh, because of the generational curses that things that um, sins and things that our forefathers and our parents and things uh, committed. So these are all things that have to be be constantly brought forth, confessed, prayed over, uh, and through faith these these things can be can be overcome. But yeah, I mean, in the in the uh, notes and the, uh, the the accounts from the from the exorcists. Sometimes they will be in a conversation with a with a demon and they'll ask, you know, they'll ask an entity, you know, when did you when did you select this person? And and in some cases they might say, you know, before birth. That's pretty chilling. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Malachi Martin, um, um, you know, documents that in his in his uh, in his book, A Hostage to the Devil. He talks about that in the cases that he's that he uh, studied there. So um, that's how these kind of things can happen. But um, through faith, we've, uh, you can overcome all things. You know, the Bible teaches us that we will never be tempted among uh, above our ability to resist. Uh, it teaches us to resist the devil, and he will flee f- from us, to draw nearer to God, and he will draw nearer to us. That's what, that's what James teaches. But then there's also other cases where, for example, the Apostle Paul describes a thorn in the flesh, which was a spirit from God sent to torment him. Um, an unclean spirit, a demon, is what it was. And um, well, well, that doesn't make sense, does it? Well, um, and it says that he prayed three times, three separate occasions to have God relieve him of this. And God's reply to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you uh, because uh, I am made strong through through your weakness. So I was like, well, what? How, how can that be? There's a reason behind all of it. And through your faith and through your trust in God, you just have to, to persevere. Um, in most cases, these things are not going to happen. You're going to overcome them. But it can actually be a good sign uh, because, you know, the devil doesn't bother with those that he already owns. So um, if you're getting a really strong attack from Satan, um, it could be because you're you're doing exactly what what God wants you to do. And maybe even in a big way and the bigger your purpose is. Uh, the more he may come at you. And this is why we see in uh, it's borne out through uh, the persecutions you see with um, a lot of church leaders have fallen, you know, um, because Satan uh, wants to make an example of them and, and hurt them and make them look bad and, and damage people's faith. Um, we, I, I think that Mel Gibson uh, is a great example of this. You know, when he made the film, the passion of the Christ, um, that, that was a monumental, uh, piece of work. And I mean, there, I heard stories of, of gang members converting to Christianity right in the middle of the theater. And I know when I saw it in the movies, it was a very moving, emotional experience, the passion of the Christ. And um, I told my family when that movie came out, I was like, you know, 
Satan is going to come against uh, Mel Gibson for making this movie. He is going to attack him and he's going to come against him in a big way. And, you know, after the, the movie, Mel Gibson had all kinds of personal problems, embarrassing things that came out, um, you know, things that were revealed. He, he came off of it really poorly. And um, he's, I guess, starting to recover his career. Now he was in that movie, father stew, which was a, which was a really great film. And uh, he had a part in there and you see him doing some different things, but I don't think his career ever fully recovered. And again, my take is that it was an, it was an attack from Satan. And you see that with certain pastors and things that have fallen really hard. And um, um, that doesn't mean we're not responsible for our actions. So um, the things that we do, Satan's always looking to try to trip us up. All right, Richard, I'm going to switch gears with you. Where can we find your series of books on your website or Amazon or both? Well, my books are on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com and many other places, any place you find books. But if you really want to connect with me, find out about my books and things like that, it's richarddlewisauthor.com. Again, that's richarddlewisauthor.com. You can connect with me on my social channels. You can find out about my books and, um, and we can just uh, get a dialogue going. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you, are you open to that? And if so, where should they connect with you? Once again, richarddlewisauthor.com. I have a contact form set up there. People can email me through that, uh, through that, um, that portal, ask me any questions they have. I am very responsive to, to folks. I'm, I'm eager and happy, especially if you read my books and you come across something that you're not sure about, or you're cu- more curious, you want to find out more about. I love, uh, I love questions. I love answering questions and I'm not afraid of controversy. Obviously I wouldn't have um, started writing a book series called the paranormal Christian if I was afraid to, uh, to take on some controversy, but um, also my socials are linked up there as, as well. Um, you can reach me on Twitter you can reach me through uh, Instagram, also on Facebook. I've got uh, the Paranormal Christian has a Facebook site. And I'm also, um, as a journalist, I'm also a film critic. And um, I, I mean, I love movies. So I have a, a, a site devoted to nothing but doing film reviews, which has really nothing at all to do with my Paranormal Christian book series. So I'm involved with a lot of things. I'm a big sports fan. So if you want to, you know, want to talk about sports, want to talk about movies, uh, there's a, I, I can meet you on just about any level. So, so richarddlewisauthor.com. Um, it's come see what reaches out to you and speaks to you and then speak to me through that. Do you have a third book in the series that you're working on? Yes, I do. I uh, am in the midst of outlining my, uh, my third book in the series. It's uh, it's very much in the uh, beginning gestation stages. I've got some, some, some bits and pieces that I, that I formulated and uh, I'm actually looking to take some time off in uh, in the next week to start um, actually uh, working on the initial manuscript draft. So uh, it's definitely well on its way. So for fans of the Paranormal Christian book series, there's more to come. That's great. All right, Richard, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Well, uh, God loves you. And um, the Christian faith for me is uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And um, it's not something that's a dogmatic thing, that it's a, a rule-based thing. I don't want you to think of it that way. I want you to understand that God, the creator who made you loves you and is reaching out to you 
the salvation is promised to us from the Bible is, is for all people. All you have to do is not reject it. And for those of you who are in the church, uh, I want you to be open-minded and, and don't be so, you know, quick to judge and, and quick to shut people down whenever they say something that might not quite sound right. You know, um, Peter was very surprised whenever um, these people who weren't of the Jewish faith were to be welcomed into Christianity. He had to get shaken out of that by God who showed it to him in a dream. And we earlier talked about how the Pope had this, uh, this thing where he was like, well, who am I to stand in the way? He used the example of the apostle to talk about, well, what if aliens come and what are we going to do with them? The church, the faith is for everybody. For those of you that are in the, the, you're interested in the paranormal, you're not really interested in the church. Um, there's no more greater proof text encyclopedia of paranormal phenomena than the Bible. And uh, we welcome you. And uh, I think you'll find that there's a lot more commonality and a lot more things that will interest you. And this is a faith of love. You know, um, Jesus, his core message is that of love. And out of all the spiritual gifts, all the paranormal experiences, all these kind of things that may happen in your life, um, spiritual gifts will come and go. But the greatest of these is love. And we love you. And uh, we'd love to see you at church. Richard, thank you for being my guest. And when you get the third book published, please reach back out to me so we can get you back to talk about that and perhaps all these other questions that I didn't get to. Oh, love to do that, Jeff. And it was really a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was was an honor to be here on your show. Thank you. And the pleasure was all mine. Thank you.